Hello and welcome to Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast. I'm Paul Martin and I'm talking today about the Bible. Did the Catholic Church ever ban the Bible? At least that's what Protestants tell us. Lorraine Bootner in the 1950s wrote an anti-Catholic book and he claimed that the Catholic Church banned the Bible. Well, we're going to look at the real history versus the false claims that have been made by Protestants. Throughout history, there have been some very, very good translations of the Bible, and there has been some very crass and terrible mistranslations of the Bible. And then there's been some in-between ones. There's been some ones written that were good for their time, like the Douay Rheims Bible, but now it has archaic language that we no longer use. Then there are Bibles with more simplistic English, like the Good News Bible. The Good News Bible, though, was my favourite Bible when I was a kid until I was about 11. Then my parents gave me an NIV Bible, and I found it very good. And there are also some very bad Bibles. Probably the worst, in my opinion, is the New World Translation, which was translated, in inverted commas, by the Jehovah's Witnesses. The reality is they didn't really translate it. There was only about one of the men on the board who did that translation that knew any Hebrew or Greek. And they mostly just got other translations of the Bible, compared them, and then just wrote their own verse. And they did it to suit their own cult. So if I ever get a hold of a Jehovah's Witness Bible, the New World Translation, I will buy it from a second-hand bookshop and throw it in the rubbish so that nobody else gets it. But not just the Jehovah's Witnesses and cults, there are other Bibles that are you're better off without than having. There is the gender-inclusive New International Revised Version, and they released a new edition of the New International Version where they put gender-inclusive language, even if it was a mistranslation. And the vast majority of Bible-believing Christians and fundamentalists, including the anti-Catholic ones, would probably agree that terrible translations and mistranslations are a perversion of God's word and belong in the rubbish bin, to which I would heartily agree. So we're going to look very briefly at the history of the Bible. The Bible, the books of the Bible are, of course, ancient, and the old Jewish community canonised most of the Old Testament books as scripture. Some weren't canonised until after the time of Christianity. The Jews had a lot of controversy, even centuries after the time of Christ, arguing about the book of Esther and Song of Solomon, and... Ecclesiastes. And not all books of the Bible make divine inspiration. 
claims. In the Protestant and Jewish version of Esther, there is no mention of God, although in the Catholic version there is. The books of 1 and 2 Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah don't make claims to divine inspiration. And some of the books also had disputed divine inspiration, such as the Deuterocanonicals, Tobit and Judith and 1 and 2 Maccabees. And so it ultimately fell on the church to authorise which books were scripture and which books were not. There were individual church fathers who regarded some books as scripture and others as not. There was Tertullian who regarded the book of Enoch as scripture. But there were many others who rejected it and the vast majority of Christians never accepted Enoch as scripture. So the question is then, how do we know which books belong in the Bible? And the answer is 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 tells us that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And that, my Protestant friends, is why we Catholics give the church the authority it deserves. Because our church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And is scripture itself our only foundation? Is sola scriptura taught in scripture? Well, let's have a look then at what the scripture says. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 says, Every writing inspired by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for instruction, which is in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So scripture is very good. It helps us in all ways, but it doesn't say scripture is the only authority we have. And in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold the traditions which you were taught by us, whether by word or by letter. So things they were told verbally or by letter, they held on to. So we see that the early church had free authorities, like the free legs of a chair. They had scripture, they had tradition, and they had the church authority itself as the pillar and foundation of truth. And the books of the Old Testament were canonised and regarded as scripture, but there was no New Testament complete and canonised until the 4th century AD. Now, the books of the New Testament, along with many other Christian books, were regarded as sacred by the church and were read regularly in church but there was no such Christian Bible until 382 AD. That means that for the first 350 years of church history there was no canonized Bible and then in 382 AD out of about 300 books they chose 27 to be canonised as Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. 
and the canonical list they gave for their Bible was 70 free books. And it was authorised by Pope Damasus I. And they are the 70 free books of the Catholic Bible. And the Deuterocanonicals, books like Judith Maccabees, Tobit, Wisdom and Sirach, all came from the Septuagint, which was the Greek Old Testament. And in the Greek New Testament, most of the quotations from the Old Testament come directly from the Septuagint. So the Septuagint was the Bible that Jesus and the Apostles used and quoted from directly. So we only have a Bible, a Christian Bible, because the Catholic Church authorised it in the 4th century AD in 382 at the Council of Rome. And in, in 393 and 397 there were councils in North Africa where they also authorised the same 73 books of the Bible. And in 397 AD, Pope Siricius, the successor to Pope Damasus, named these books the Bible. So the very name comes from a Pope. And in 405 AD, Jerome translated the Bible into Latin because Latin was the common language of the time in the Western Roman Empire. And Jerome said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And in Catholic Mass, our Catholic church services, every single church service for the past 2,000 years has had four scriptural readings. And the way it's done today is the first reading is from the Old Testament. It's any part of the Old Testament other than the Psalms. Then the second reading is from the Psalms. It's called a responsorial psalm in which a line from the Psalms is read by the reader and at the end of each verse the people chant that line. And the Psalms are very important because they're written specifically for worship. The third Bible reading is from a passage of the New Testament other than the Gospels, such as Revelation or Acts or one of the letters of Paul the Apostle or James or whoever. And then the fourth reading, and everyone stands up for the fourth reading, is from the Gospels. And there's also a short Gospel acclamation and virtually every other prayer or statement that's made in the rest of the church service, Mass, comes from Scripture. And that, my friends, is the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has based its beliefs on Scripture. But does that mean, then, that, the, that every one of us should just read the Bible for ourselves and interpret it however we want. And we have to ask ourselves, well, what does the scripture say?
Well, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 says, Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. So the Bible is not some book to just privately interpret yourself. And Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says, Trust in Yahweh, or God, with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. So the scripture says, prophecy and scripture is not for private interpretation. Trust in God, don't lean on your own understanding. And it also says that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. And there are many parts of scripture that are very obvious and easy to understand. Some of the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness against your neighbour. And many of the scripture stories are very easy to understand. But there are some passages of scripture that are not easy to understand and it would be foolish for us to all just interpret it for ourselves. And at this point some people may be saying, well how can you say that about scripture? And the answer is the scripture itself tells us that scripture is not easily understood. And I'll explain from 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 says, Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also according to wisdom given to him wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. In those are some things hard to be understood, which the ignorant and unsettled twist, as they do also to the other scriptures, to their own destruction. And in Acts chapter 8, around verse 30, the Apostle Philip went to the Ethiopian who was reading from Isaiah and he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So what the Bible shows us is that the Bible, the scriptures are very important for us to read, but we can only rely on the church to interpret it for us and that's what the scripture says and so for centuries monks priests nuns copied and distributed the bible bibles were rare some bibles had, they had to be handwritten and some of these bibles would take many many years to be completed so a bible was a rare and expensive commodity and in some of the medieval churches, Bibles were chained up. They weren't chained up so that people could laugh and mock the Bible, as some Protestants used to tell me. They were chained up because they were too valuable. They could be stolen. And secondly, the majority of the world's population could not read in the Roman Empire, in the days of the early church, it was only a small minority of people who could read. It was not until 1970 
that the majority of the world's population was finally literate. So there was no point in giving Bibles out to people who couldn't read it. Instead, what would happen is medieval and early Christians would go to Mass, they would go to church, and they would have four Bible passages read to them. And so it's organised in such a way that if a Catholic attends Mass every single day, or they in two years they will have most of the Bible read to them, or if they go on the weekends they'll have most of the Bible read to them, over a five-year period. And most evangelicals don't read the Bible that regularly. They don't, many of them have never even read the Bible cover to cover. So they probably got medieval Catholics, got as much of the Bible read to them as the average evangelical of today reads anyway. And so most people would go to church and they would have mass read to them. And in the early 13th century, it was Stephen Langton who lived from 1150 to 1228. He was the Catholic Archbishop of Canterbury. He divided the Bible into chapters. And then after him came Cardinal Hugh of St. Cher, who lived from 1200 to 1263. And he then worked on what Stephen Langton had done. He divided the chapters of the Bible into verses. So the numbering of chapters and verses came from the Catholic Church. And then in the 1450s, it was Johannes Gutenberg, who was a Catholic. He lived from 1400 to 1468. And Gutenberg was a Catholic who invented the printing press. And the very first book that he had printed was the Bible. And there have been many translations of the Bible throughout history. And since Protestants claim that it was John Wycliffe and William Tyndale who were trying to get the Bible into English and that the ordinary Catholics were forbidden from reading or hearing scripture, I'm going to destroy that myth. From 600 to 874 AD, there were numerous translations done of scriptures. Bede mentions Cademan, who lived from 657 to 684, and he sang poems in Old English that were from Bible stories. And Bede, who lived from the late 600s until 735 AD, did a translation of the Gospel of John into Old English. Then there was the Vespasian Psalter in the late 800s. That was from the Book of Psalms, translated into English. And then there was the House of Wessex. And they were descendants of Alfred the Great and Edward the Elder. And King Alfred, 
who lived from 849 to 899 AD. He was King Alfred the Great, a devout Catholic. He translated the Pentateuch and the Ten Commandments and the Gospel of John into Anglo-Saxon or Old English. And from 950 to 970, Aldred the scribe, in the Northumbrian dialect of Old English, did the Gospels and translated them. And he also did the, the Lord's Prayer and, and the Gospel of Matthew is still preserved to this day, the translation that he did. And from about 1000 AD, there is another manuscript called the Junius Manuscript, which has two translations of Genesis, uh, Exodus, Daniel, and other writings put together. After 1066, the Normans from France invaded and conquered England and they spoke French, and so the English language didn't get a lot of books translated uh, of the Bible for a while because they became the ruling elite. But around about 1150, partial translations and parts of the Bible and the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles were done into Midland English, And in the early 1300s, long before John Wycliffe began his translation, there was a hermit, a Catholic hermit called Richard Roll. And he translated much of the Bible from the Latin, especially the Psalms. And from the, in the early 14th century, in the early 1300s, there was also a French copy of the Book of Revelation that was translated into English. In the late 1500s, the Catholics in England were being heavily persecuted by the Protestants. And they, Catholic priests were often summarily executed, and so they had to come to England in secret. And at that particular time, the Catholics in France produced an English translation of the Bible for the Catholics. In 1582, they completed the New Testament of the Douay-Rheims Bible. And at about 1609, they completed the Old Testament. So the Douay-Rheims version of the Bible was completed in 1609. And this was about the same time that the King James Bible was being translated. And so the, they completed the KJV in 1611 and they heavily plagiarised off the Douay-Rheims Bible. And the Catholic Church Authority has always encouraged people to read the scriptures and study it and pray. But now we've got to look at the Protestant version of history and what they claim. And they tell us that the Catholic Church has banned the Bible. They cite the 
1229 AD Council of Toulouse, which banned Albigensian Bibles. And then they also refer to the 1234 Council of Tarragona. There was no Council of Tarragona in 1234. It was actually in 1242 AD, but like the Council of Toulouse, it was a condemnation of the Cafari or Albigensians. Now, people might say, well, who were the Albigensians? And the answer is they were a Gnostic sect that believed that the physical realm was evil and the spiritual realm was good. And they denied that Jesus came in the flesh. And 1 John says that people who do that are antichrists. Now, the Albigensian or Kafari movement spread very rapidly across France from the early 1000s until the early 1300s. They were spread widely across France, Italy, Spain, and some parts of Germany. And a boatload of them even arrived in England, where they were flogged and sent adrift into the middle of winter. And this group was going around mutilating the Bible. They were claiming that the God of the Old Testament was Satan and was evil, and the God of the New Testament was different. And they were producing Bibles that were heavily perverted and changed. And in those days, where you didn't have computers and everything to record the correct version, and you didn't have websites for fact-checking, this is the medieval period, all you had was books. The only solution for dealing with perversions of the Bible was to burn them and destroy them and to prevent people from reading them lest they would have their beliefs changed by a false translation of the scripture. And there have been Protestants who claim that in 1543 the Bible was in a list of banned books and this is garbage, this is not true. What the Catholic Church banned was mistranslations of the Bible and anti-Catholic versions of the Bible that were full of footnotes attacking the Church and its teaching. And John Wycliffe translated the Bible. His Bible, Protestants may not want to know, and, and this was at about 1380, John Wycliffe's translation of the Bible included all 73 books of the Bible, the Deuterocanonicals. But his Bible was banned, not because the translation was especially terrible, it wasn't that bad, it wasn't that good either. It was banned because it had a preface and lots of footnotes attacking Catholicism. That's why it was banned and rejected. And his followers were called the Lollards. And the Lollards is a word that loosely means hypocrites or idlers. And they were a violent anti-clerical movement that frequently committed vandalism and arson of Catholic churches. And they often destroyed sacred relics and sacred pictures. And so 
in any society where you have people going around committing theft and burglary and arson and crimes, they get persecuted and sent to prison as they rightly deserve. And they, actually before Luther, were the ones who said scripture alone is our authority. But they were, like Protestants later on, a highly chaotic and disorganised group. They had no unity, and that's one of the strongest reasons why Scripture is not for private interpretation, because it leads to a hundred Christians interpreting the Bible a hundred different ways. And that's why there are thousands of Protestant denominations with no doctrinal unity. Catholics are not smarter than Protestants. We're not better than them, and yet we're a unified church. And the, uh, uh, the reason is this. It's because Catholics submit to what the church says. Catholics recognise that the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. We recognise that scripture is God's supreme word. But like Peter... The Apostle said in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 that much of scripture is not easily understood and so it's up to the church to interpret it for us. And Jesus told Peter and the Apostles, the, who were the leaders of the church, that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And that brings us to the next person who also did his own translation of the Bible, and that was Martin Luther. And you might think, well, you know, what's wrong with that? He was giving people scripture. First of all, the Germans already had the Bible available. They had Catholic translations of the Bible in German. Martin Luther's translation was not a very good one. In Romans chapter 3, verse 28, the scripture clearly says that we are saved by faith and not the works of the Torah or the Old Testament. And James, in James chapter 2, also affirms that we are saved by faith. But he explains we're not saved by faith alone, but works as well. Martin Luther, however, added the word alone to Romans chapter 3 verse 28 to say we're saved by faith alone. And James, however, shows it's faith and works. Faith without works is dead, to which I say we are saved by faith, but faith without works is dead. Now, Protestants frequently like to quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that says, You have been saved by grace through faith without works, lest any man can boast. And I say amen to that scripture, but they don't quote verse 10, which says, You have been saved in order to do good works. Also, they ignore the fact that salvation is a process. Salvation... As Catholics, we say we have been saved, past tense. We are being saved, and we will be saved if we endure to the end. And the scripture says we have been, past tense, saved by grace through faith without works. 
means that when your salvation begins, it doesn't begin by works you've done, it begins with faith. And then our, our salvation is maintained by faith and works. Faith without works is dead. We're not saved by dead faith. We're maintained by faith and works. And we will be saved in the end if we endure to the end. And that is what Scripture says. Now we finally get to probably the biggest hero of this these lies, and that's William Tyndale. William Tyndale, who lived from 1494 to 1536. He was executed by the orders of King Henry VIII, which was after King Henry VIII had become a Protestant, although he was executed in the Catholic Holy Roman Empire. And he was executed for heresy. Catholics of today do not condone that policy, but that was what Protestants did to Catholics, and Catholics did to Protestants in the 1500s. And they claim, however, rather falsely, that William Tyndale was executed simply because he wanted to give people the Bible in English. And his Bible was banned because they didn't want the Bible in the hands of the laity. And this is utter garbage because William Tyndale, his Bible was banned because it had literally thousands and thousands of errors in it. He was an absolutely terrible translator. And because of the damage and the danger of bad translations of the Bible being done or mutilated versions of the Bible, such as the ones the Albigensians were doing in the 1200s, the Catholic Church did not allow people to translate the Bible unless they were fit and competent to do so. And William Tyndale was a man who wrote a book called The Obedience of a Christian Man, and he said that the head of the church should not be the Pope, but the king of the country. And this was actually what motivated Henry VIII to break with Catholicism and make himself head of the church. In other words, he looked at the Pope and said, the Pope is a mere man, he shouldn't be the earthly head of the church, instead it should be the king of a country. But King Henry VIII was a murderer. He was a man who had several of his wives executed and he had many people brutally murdered and tortured. And William Tyndale regarded this man as the head of the church and fit to be the head of the church. It was actually this wretched teaching which eventually led King James almost a century later to believe that he, and a descendant of Henry VIII, to believe in the divine right of kings, which eventually led to the English Civil War. And he, his Bible was banned. He was a Catholic priest. He was a man with a very bad temper and a man with rather mediocre scholarly qualities. And he had a bad reputation. And he made about 2,000 errors that were counted in the New Testament alone. 
and even Henry VIII in 1543, which was eight years after he became a Protestant, renounced Tyndale's translation of the Bible as crafty, false and untrue. And I have one last challenge to all the Protestants who love to glorify John Wycliffe and William Tyndale. If their Bibles were so great and glorious, why are they no longer used? By Protestants. Why did Protestants, shortly after William Tyndale's time, do their own Bible, the Geneva Bible, and then the Bishop's Bible, which I think was about 1568, and then finally the King James Bible? Obviously they weren't that good. They were terrible translations, and that's why they are not in any use today. And that's precisely why the Catholic Church didn't give any regard to Protestant translations of the Bible. Martin Luther was a man who tried to omit numerous books from his canon. He wanted, he said, the book of Esther, he said, I'd love to throw it into the Elba River. He said that the book of Jonah was unbelievable. He said that the book of Revelation and Hebrews and James did not belong in the Bible. He said that James was a work of straw. He said that Jude and 2 Peter were not written by the apostles and didn't belong in scripture. So my question is, why would you trust in the interpretation of history and the Bible to people like that? So in summary, my friends, it was the Catholic Church that authorised the Bible. It was the Catholic Church that canonised the books of Scripture. It, and it was the Catholic Church for centuries that preserved the Bible at a time when there was no printing press. And it was the Catholic Church that weeded out and destroyed false translations of the Bible, such as those done by the Cathari. And it was the Catholic Church that rejected translations by William Tyndale and also re rejected other translations by Wycliffe, which, while it wasn't as bad, it was full of notes and a preface attacking the Catholic Church. Thank you for listening. God bless you.